You're listening to F1 Nation. This week, Mika Hakkinen talks us through one of the great overtakes in Formula One history. Rob Smedley has a surprising opinion about Sebastian Vettel. And Rosanna Tennant welcomes Sergio Perez for a special challenge. And now, from various kitchen tables from around the world, this is F1 Nation. Yes, welcome to the show. It's great to have you all with us. My name's Tom Clarkson. And my name's Alex Jakes. And as ever, we have some great guests. Lots of Formula One chat coming your way. Now, Alex, what have you been up to since the last show? Well, I've commentated on the virtual Grand Prix, Tom. First up, uh, it was Monaco. And it was complete chaos. It was everything you'd expect from letting footballers, pop stars, and even some Formula One drivers race around the streets of Monaco, at least virtually anyway. So who won it? George Russell. And he didn't just win it, Tom. He dominated by a country mile. Now, Joe, it's really interesting because... In fact, I have read George has come out and said he's had more positive publicity as a result of winning a couple of races on the sim this year than he did in the whole of 2019. It's extraordinary. The only currency Formula One understands is winning. It doesn't matter if it's a virtual Grand Prix. Oh, you did well in Budapest. Did you nearly made Q2? No one cares. It's totally unfair. Win a virtual Grand Prix by 40 seconds. And then suddenly everyone's like, tell you who's a good bet for that second Mercedes seat. But was George Russell actually driving the car? Yep, yep, it was him. There we are, cleared that one up. What's uh, what's been keeping you busy this week? I've gone down a rabbit hole this week. I've missed deadlines. I've been spending far too much time on YouTube. And you're going to ask me what I've been watching on YouTube. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I have been watching overtakes in Formula One, classic Formula One overtakes. And when you start watching one... Then that's it. That's the day gone, isn't it? You just end up watching loads and loads. Of all the ones that you watched, what's the one that stood out? Anything involving Mansell, for goodness sake. Mansell <laughs> on Burger in Mexico 1990. Mansell on Senna, Hungary 89. But the one that really had me screaming at my computer was Mansell on PK at Silverstone 87. He, he broke the lap record for 11 laps, I think, before he caught him. He dummied him and he did him into Stowe right at the end of the race. It was wonderful. Now... When we talk about overtakes, I'm going to throw that back at you now. Best overtake you've ever seen? Well, there's a few that spring to mind. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Fernando Alonso going around the outside of Michael Schumacher back in 2005 at Suzuka. I'm an even bigger fan of Mark Webber going around the outside of Fernando Alonso into Eau Rouge. They were pretty mega. Bit of a theme here, AJ. Bit of a theme. Yeah, I think it adds something to a move. But it's not just round the outside. I think Lewis Hamilton's move on Kimi Raikkonen back in 2007, first chicane at Monza, just super late on the brakes. So you're probably shouting at us right now that you've forgotten this one. How could you forget this iconic move? Hashtag F1 Nation. We would love to hear the ones that mean a lot to you. But in all the moves that we've mentioned there, something big has been on the line. A place on the podium, a race win. But when there's a championship at stake, well, that just changes it entirely. It's why, for me, the one that sits above all others is Mika Hakkinen passing Michael Schumacher at Spa in the year 2000. And here to recall that day is the man himself. Hack- 
second and running off the circuit. What has happened? Automatically in that moment, when I did realize that I'm losing a control of the car, you are maximizing all your talent to keep the car in a position that way you don't hit the wall, plus keep engine running. And then you feel really pissed off after. When you do start going back and, and start fighting your original position, which means the leading a race, there is a little anger. So this anger makes you drive much more aggressive. So what that means that even you know you have hour and a half, whatever, left in a race, you don't give any mercy for the car, not for the tires, not for the engine, not for the brakes, not for anything. You hit the curbs and you just go flat out. And that's what happens. You see in your pitch wall very good possibility to catch the leader and win the race. That means you just continue going flat out and you're taking a risk that way something can break. So normally you leave a little margin sometimes for the breaking, how risk you take going a curve. But, but in that particular race, I kick some ass there, man. It was an incredible moment because Michael saw in a mirrors that the speed for that was approaching him, big difference was huge. My overtaking in normal cases should be easy. And there was a quite a big number of laps still left in a race. So I thought he knows I come so fast. So I thought there's no, no way he's going to start blocking me because I was so bloody quick. But he did. And he did very nasty way. I said, okay, if we have, if we have about 10 laps to go, he's going to block me like this 10 times. And if he's going to block me 10 times like this, we're going to crash. Michael was really heavily blocking me on the cross. Even Mark Enplate has some marks from his rear tire. When you go 200 miles per hour and your wing is touching somebody's rear tire, that means we were pretty close. It was very clear for me that way, this is it. This is the only place where I can overtake him. So I will put all my energies for that straight line. Because there was no chance to anywhere else. Even the spa track is such a long track. That was the only place. So what I did, all the other areas on the racetrack, I was all the time saving a little bit, because then I was close to Michael. I was saving a little bit the tire. I was not too close to Michael, not to heat up the brakes or the gearbox or engine, to leave all the energies from the car for that straight line. But there was only one problem. That means the rouge, I need to go nearly flat. I mean, full, full speed and qualification, you can, you can go through that corner very fast. Uh, but in a race, it's different tactics. So I need to put my all my energies to really go a rules like in a qualification. When I decided that, uh, my body prepared to all rules differently than other laps. I knew that anything can happen. If car moves slightly on the middle of the corner of rules in the rear, I'm going to fly to Brussels, basically. <laughs> And I managed to go through a rules perfectly. Uh, and when I was top of, the, top of the hill, I felt when the car was landing basically back to the four wheels, I was, I was like impressed that way. Wow, <laughs> the car was able to do this. 
uh, it's no way if I would have the second lap like that. Then obviously my speed was again made up. I see that red car there. I can see the Michael there. He was waiting to block me again. I was thinking like, here we go again. What's going to happen this time? So naturally I see in a distance, I do see the Ricardo Sonda. Very unusual situation. He was driving middle of the racetrack, on the middle of the straight. Not on the left-hand side, or not on the right-hand side, would be, normally would be the situation. So he was in the middle of the track, in a distance. This is my chance. We were approaching, was counting. And this was a difficult part. Because when I was all the time catching Michael closer and closer and closer, comes the point. When I have to show Michael which way I'm going to go. So if I show to Michael a little bit too early, which side I'm going to overtake the Ricardo Sonda, he's going to block me. So the timing was very crucial. So luckily, Michael chose normal racing line and to go on the left. Michael's having to defend. So Adrianili comes up. And there's a, the back marker's in the way. Your heart rate comes up. But can he do it? Your, all your reactions are absolute ultimate shot. It was a really incredible feeling, this racing moment, what we were going through. Hakkinen brilliantly takes the lead of the Belgian Grand Prix. When I overtook the Michael, you, you put your mind back to normal. My body comes down in a mode that I'm 100% control of the car. Then, then I can see that way the Michael and my distance is not increasing purposely because I want to enjoy to see him in my mirrors. I really enjoy it. I don't want, to, I don't want him to go too far. I got the high pleasure out of that. Well, I know you're meant to be professional and move on nice and smoothly, but how good was that? Mika Hakkinen describing one of the great overtakes in Formula One history. And I'm delighted to say that the double world champion is still on the line. Hello, and thank you for having me. This is quite an interesting one to have in it, having a conversation like this. Not really face-to-face, but in... Yeah, it kind of feels face-to-face, though. It saved me and Alex getting on a plane. yeah exactly Monaco is such a horrible place is it (laughs) if I was living in Monaco I'd be eating and drinking like it's still Christmas (laughs) Mika why can some drivers overtake and you are definitely in that category and why can some drivers not do it overtaking is it's, it's a lot to do with the confidence so confidence with yourself confidence with the car you have to be sure when you are in a position to overtake somebody. You, you need to understand your personal limits. You need to understand limits of the car. And then you can attack. If the driver is thinking, mm, is this the right corner to overtake? The chance is gone already. So you cannot do this kind of hesitation and, and think about it. And you just think about, I don't care. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to overtake. doesn't matter what happens. Now, these days, these racetracks, which are designed, there is a lot of runoff area. 
in the past, of course, when the white line was end of the end of the racetrack. So you you were able to do this kind of mad overtaking maneuver, and and today you can do this kind of let's call it a little bit mad overtaking maneuver and go extremely wide because you don't end up in a travel trap or you don't hit the barrier. Mika, do you think that the skills have changed as a result of the runoff and the being slightly less risk off track? Do you think the skills have changed from, from your era to today? It's just one risk element has uh, disappeared. If I, if I would be racing now in the current racetrack and, and I know when I go into the break, end, end of the long straight for the breaking point and, and I miss the breaking point because I'm overtaking somebody, I could go wide off the track turn my car and, and come back to the racetrack, okay, the overtaking didn't work out, but at least I didn't crash or I didn't break the car and I can continue to race. And also I didn't damage the tires because I didn't lock the tires because I can just go wide. So, in again, going back into history, in my time, you need to be sure with your overtaking that way. When I'm attack, when I'm going to attack and overtake, I need to stay... Uh, with 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 inside in those white lines, I cannot cross the white line. Otherwise, I'm in a travel trap. Would you have enjoyed DRS? I, I think I think it's a good idea. I, I I would be very happy to have it if I would be behind somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Mick, whilst we have you, I uh, wanted to ask you about your old team, McLaren. So when you joined them, they were going through well, they were beginning a transitional period, uh, and you took them back to the title. That is now in progress at Woking as well. What needs to happen at McLaren now to take them back to the very front? I know they've had podiums, but the very front, wins and titles. Well, since the Zach Brown took uh, in charge, uh, I, I felt, and not so long after that, I joined the McLaren, back to the McLaren family, and I, I felt there came huge uh, motivation kick to everybody inside in a team to move forward in every sector. I don't feel anything needs to be changed. I think how they do it, they're doing a brilliant job. I feel that way communication is very quick. And people in, in Formula One, if you say that way, if you have to make a decision and you say, mm, I will sleep overnight and I'll tell you tomorrow, it's too late. You have to react. You have to be brave. You have to be strong enough to take responsibilities if your decision was wrong. And uh, if it was right, continue pushing. That's where I can see why they are doing such a great job. Now, you say don't make any changes at McLaren, but of course they've got Daniel Ricciardo joining them next year. So let's talk driver market. First of all, Sebastian Vettel. What's he going to do, Mika? Can you relate to where he's at in his career? Does he does he remind you of the Mika Hakkinen circa 2001? His age is not the problem. He's still a young guy. I, I feel that he had a big uh, disappointment with Ferrari. Enjoyment of the, the teamwork disappeared, I think, from, from Vettel. He didn't enjoy not so much anymore inside the team because... I think he was criticized enormously all the time. And I, I don't think when you are in a team, it has to be shared, this kind of pressure and, and criticism. It's not just the one person. He's a great personality. He's a nice guy. I know him for many, many years. And, and when he opens up about himself, his family, his career in motor racing, 
he's, he's a really good guy. And I, I think he's been communicating with fans, example, a lot through the media, press conferences, but I feel that's not enough. I don't say what he has to do different, but I wish he would be more in that expressing himself to the public in a, through social media that they who he is. They would love to hear. Where's he going to race next year, do you think? Okay, to, to drive a market. I think if he wants to win, it's pretty tough out there. Not Mercedes then? Is there going to be a seat at Mercedes? Your, your question is really interesting question because you know I'm part of, of course, the Walteris. Walteri has a great position in Mercedes. Uh, he's a mega great driver and I am confident that he's better than ever. So I have a extremely high expectations to him to him to be a world champion this year. And that's what we've been working very hard for years. All the qualities, all the tools, him to get there. He's been working hard. He's supporting team, management team. We're working hard to finding it out. So in terms of that, my interest is Valtteri Bottas, not Sebastian Vettel. But I can, of course, tell what I'm thinking about Vettel. But that's all what I'm going to say to you guys. Sensational stuff from Mika there, and we've got lots more to come on this episode of F1 Nation. But first, take a listen to this. BOTB, or the best of the best, is a name you might already be familiar with. They are the original winner car competition company. They've been operating since 1999, and with 20 years worth of winners, there has been £31 million, AJ, worth of cars given away to over 500 lucky players. And you could be a lucky player too. All it takes is a little skill. Now, do you remember those old spot the ball games you used to get in the paper back in the 80s and 90s? Well, it's been updated for the digital age. That's the game of skill you'll be playing online for your chance to win. Just pick your dream car, lay out your coordinates for the placement of the ball, and a team of expert judges will take care of the rest. It's simple to enter on the BOTB website. Once there, you'll find there's a choice of 180 cars listed, including Porsche, Mercedes, Aston Martin, BMW, Range Rover, Volkswagen, even a McLaren and a Tesla and many more. So you can let your wildest dreams dictate as you select the dream car at the top of your fantasy list. Tickets to enter the competition range from 85 pence up to £7, depending on the value of the car. For example, a ticket to win a Mini Cooper S is £1 whereas a ticket to win a Porsche 911 Carrera is 395 There's a winner every week, guaranteed. And it doesn't stop there. Insurance for the first year is included, plus you can also win 20 grand in cash to go alongside your dream car. Competitions run from midnight Sunday to midnight Sunday, 52 weeks a year. Do bear in mind that you have to be over 16 to enter, but the competition is worldwide and easily entered online from wherever you are. You could be next week's dream car winner. Enter now at botb.com slash nation. That's botb.com slash nation for your chance to win your dream car. Right, let's get on with the show. It's been a big week for Formula One's rules. The FIA on Wednesday approved a new reduced cost cap for F1 teams and a new sliding scale for aerodynamic testing. For more on this, I'm delighted to introduce F1 consultant Rob Smedley, who joins us on the line. Rob, how are you? Brilliant, thanks. I'm, I'm in my, uh, I'm, I'm sat in my, uh, my little office in my garden. Fortunate, really, you know, in the, in, in what, what are really difficult times for everybody. 
but fortunate, but really, really busy as well. Just got just got lots going on. So I guess that that helps as well. Just keep the old grey matter ticking over. Hey, well, look, lots going on in the world of Formula One, isn't it? This week, we've had big announcements. Can we talk to you first about the sort of new regulations that are coming in in 21 and, of course, 22 and the years afterwards? First up, how difficult was it to find agreement among everybody to get these things through? I think generally there was a desire, um, and if not a desire, a realisation that this had to happen. You know, this is about for the for the good of the sport, and and you know, there's lots of we, we all like to make sound bites. I can tell you from from my own point of view, spending so many years in the teams, it's we all like to make sound bites about how how important the sport is. But you know, when you when you're senior personnel in the team, when you've got to weigh up the importance of the sport against the importance of your company, you can be a little bit short-sighted. You know, people knew that this you know that that, that this had to happen in some way, shape, or form. And when you go back to the, the end of last year, when we when we managed to get the the cost cap through, you know Ross has always been really clear about this that that you know whether or not it was at the right level at the time, you know is is or, or the right level for for ingoing of, of what was going to be twenty one, whether or not that was the right number and the number that we wanted was was a question mark and a number we could all agree on, but at least we had the the, the mechanism and the and the governance in there. And, and I think once once you've got that, then that's going to help us to to, to to move it forward. So we have a cost cap of 145 million in 2021. I think everybody can understand that because the numbers were just so huge, particularly at the front of the grid prior to that introduction. But there may be some people out there who are struggling with the idea of a sort of handicapping system with regards to the aerodynamic testing restrictions that are coming in. Why the need to do the cost cap and the aero limits. You know, the, the, the way that the, the way that we view it is that they're all very linked. I, I used to describe it like the the, the the whack-a-mole. You know what I mean? Like we kind of push one area down and suppress one area, and then what happens is, you know, it's like an amorphous structure that, that you've got so much volume inside the bloom of, of of cash in this case, and you push that area down, it just expands into another area. So so we've got to be really careful about that. So so that's you know really where. Where, where the philosophy is in, in, in what Formula One's trying to do. Whether or not these are the perfect set of regulations is, is a question mark. And there's going to be some people who like them and some people who don't and, and, and all the rest of it. What we're fairly clear about is we're, we're building a better Formula One here. We're building a better Formula One and more sustainable Formula One. I, 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 I'm personally, it's my personal opinion, but I'm, I'm really happy with, with, you know, with what we've got for this new set of rules. Rob, how much do you think it's going to be a challenge to police these new set of rules, given that Formula One is now asking teams to do something that has never really happened before? It's it's always a challenge, Alex, um, always a challenge. We, we believe we've got the the right amount of, of governance and, and audit, you know, and I think if you want to take a, if you want to, if you want a good example of, of something that's worked, it's the aerodynamic test restrictions up to this point. Um, you know, Formula One now for, for many years, has has been governed under you know part of the the sporting and tech, technical regulations have been that there's an aerodynamic test restriction how much time you can spend in the wind tunnel how much time you can spend um, on on your on your CFD and and with that comes a policing requirement it's it's not simple and it's like any company you know it's 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 like company finances 
public company finances at least that that, that can be audited you know you, you're always under the the, the sort of difficulties if you, if you like that, that if you do want it if you are inclined that you want to try to to move into less than gray areas at some point you can be audited and, and you will be audited what that does is is it is it brings it uh, about um you know a, a level of self-policing you know certainly when when you know in in, in ferrari when when the ATA when i worked then the, the the aerodynamic test restrictions first introduced and then subsequently in, in Williams um, what you actually find is is that the teams themselves are keen to, 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 to police because it becomes a culture within the teams just like you wouldn't go out and and purposely run your car 20 30 kilos underweight you wouldn't then go on um, because you know that at the end of the race you're going to get you, you're going to get weighed by the same principle you know go and run another 10%, 20% more wind on time in the wind tunnel. So I think that's what will happen here. You know, if we, if we put good enough audit processes in place and, and definitely, you know, we've been looking at those audit processes in a, in, a, in a lot of detail and using, you know, outside expert consultancy to, to help with that, then the whole thing becomes self-serving and it becomes much less onus on, on, on the policeman to police it. You know, it's kind of just like a good, a good community and a good society where people just generally want to behave well. Few driver changes going on, Rob. And look, Carlos Sainz going to Ferrari. You know that team so well, having worked there for ten years. If there's one bit of advice you can give him in order to maximise the opportunity, what would you say to him? Grow thick skin, really thick skin. You're going to need it. Ferrari has, has become like, like all of us who, who who lasted a long time there. Ferrari, Ferrari becomes a part of you. And there are wonderful, you know, really amazing things about Ferrari, and there's some some really dreadful things about Ferrari. And 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 you kind of see quite often, you know, especially when when you get into more senior positions, you kind of see both both sides of that coin. You see the 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 part where where you think, why would I ever want to want to leave this place? And then and then there's other times when when it, it you know becomes more difficult and 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 a bit more frustrating and and. Um, you know, you kind of have to to stand up and meet the challenge and 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 do and be the best that you can be. You know, and and that's on a daily basis. I think that you know, if I've learned anything from you know my time in Formula One, it's that it's that Ferrari. There is no second best. Second best is never good enough. You know, and it's kind of a culture that that is clearly being built in Mercedes now as well. Um, but definitely with Ferrari, you've got the added pressure of the media and the fans you know it's a national institution it's a religion and therefore that pressure never ever goes away you know even even when you you, you leave the office and you might go out to a restaurant or a, you know a, a little cafe or whatever you don't even have to be anywhere near Maranello people know who you are people uh, will give you their clear opinion on what they think about Ferrari and what they think about you because that's just what they do and, and that pressure never ever goes away but you know it's it's at the same time. It is a, an incredible place to work. It's 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 an absolutely incredible place to work. The the, the passion and, and being part of that. You know, at, at some at some point, especially the guys. You know, on the race team and and people. You know, when I was there, people like Stefan and John and Ross and all of those really like senior people to hold that amount of responsibility in your hand for for however long it is. You know what I mean? When you're making decisions that are going to affect the whole of Ferrari. You know, when, when you have that responsibility and you feel the weight of that pressure, it is something special and it is something that you have to respect. And, and the beauty about Ferrari is, is it, it is 
it's always about Ferrari. It's never about individuals, you know. And and they're relentless and ruthless in in their in their pursuit to win. But if you can withstand it and and you can you can stand the test of time there, you know, as as, as I'm sure Carlos is is you know we're going to see whether he can or, or or not. I don't know Carlos very well, but he seems like a guy that that um, will be able to, to to get on in that environment very well. Um, he's going to love it. So Carlos is moving in, Sebastian Vettel is moving out, and there have been plenty of rumours linking him, Rob, with that Mercedes seat alongside Lewis Hamilton. Uh, From someone's point of view who's held senior positions with multiple Formula One teams, do you think that Vettel and Hamilton could work at Mercedes? Uh, Yeah, you'd always make make it work. I'm 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 always of the opinion that um, that you just go for absolute best and then you manage the fallout afterwards um, or before hopefully, um, but but you just want the the absolute best that you can do. Now um, you know Mercedes have have they've kind of lived through that situation from 2014 to or the end of 2016 whenever Nico retired. It brings about its its management headaches, definitely um, that situation. So, so do they want to live that through that again now that they've found a different kind of equilibrium between Valtteri and and, and Lewis? I'm not sure really, but you know, it would be I, I, my, my personal opinion. That's all it is. Is that you know, if we don't see Sebastian in a in in a top seat, you know, where he can kind of show his wares at the front of the grid, um, I'm not sure we'll see him at all. And do you think that would be a loss to Formula One if he did decide to hang up the helmet? Yeah, do you know what, Alex? I, I think it would be because I think we've still got a really good driver there. You know, he's a he's he's a really wonderful driver. But he's, do you know what I think his his best year in Formula One is? And I'm going to get hammered for this. His best year in Formula One was 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 last year. It was 2019 because I think that he faced the biggest challenge of his career that year, and everybody kind of wrote him off because it was the easiest easy thing to do. You know that Charles is just going to get better and better, and he's going to get. It's the end of Sebastian, if you like. I think we saw the real Sebastian Vettel towards the end of the year. So Sebastian, a little bit lost, and I'm sure freely admit that that he, you know, he wasn't where he wanted to be, both within the team and and with his teammate um, at the start of the year. But then he actually got his head down, and that's the sign of a true champion. He came back, and and we saw some. I'm sure Matteo will disagree with me um, on this particular point, but Russia. I think it was a case in point. He he got out in front. However, he did it. Whatever the the, the machinations were of, of of him getting in front at that point, he he kind of made that decision in inside his own head and and, and helmet that that he was staying there and he wasn't going to let him back pass. And I think that that when you know the, the the sign of a of a true great is is that they'll never ever you know they're they're relentless in 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 their pursuit of of winning. But then we saw towards the end of the year as well. You know there, there was a couple of races where, where you know, for a guy of his stature, things didn't quite work out and he didn't do as well as he should have done and, he, and he'd freely admit that. I think America, he, you know, he didn't have a very good race. But, but on the whole, in that second half of the, of the year, I think we saw true grit with, with a lot of pressure as well. You know, a lot of pressure. I think he was, I think he, he felt the pressure a little bit, what I talked about before. He felt that pressure from the team and he was certainly feeling pressure from uh, from Charles. You know, there's no doubt about that. And Charles did a great job. You know, there's no doubt that, that we've got an absolute nascent superstar on our hands there. You know, we're lucky to to have him in Formula One. This is sensational. So, so you're saying that we saw a better Vettel in 2019 than we did in any of his championship years with Red Bull, 
in those light, nimble, blown diffuser Red Bulls. You think he was better last year? That's really interesting. Ferrari will freely admit that they didn't have the car. You know, the, the, the car just wasn't there last year or it wasn't there on as many occasions as the Mercedes was. And added to that, Charles can be the, the best driver of his generation. When you get drivers like that, they come in and they make a mark. You know, you don't need one, two, three years to kind of work out if he's a front-end driver or a midfield driver. You, you, you know within, within races, as we did when he was at Sauber or Alpha or, or whatever it was called, that this is a top driver. This, this is going to be a number one driver. And the question marks that you've got is, is, is he going to be, you know, as, as good as a Michael, as successful as a, as a Michael or a Lewis? Or not, you know what I mean? Or is he going to get? Is he just going to get one or two world championships? You know, that, that that's kind of the question mark that you've got with Charles at the minute, that, which is a fairly good first world question mark, if you like, from his point of view. So you know, and and, and Charles has got no pressure as well. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of pressure, but but the, the team have rallied, uh, give him a very clear pecking order at the start of the year. So Charles is kind of there. He's, he's he's relaxed. He's just doing his thing, and, and and he's happy. Sebastian had all the pressure. There's no doubt about it. Sebastian had all the pressure. I think that's the most pressure he's probably ever had in his career, you know, and, he, and he's been against good drivers, you know, he's been against world champions as well. He, he dominated Kimi, if you like, you know, with, with Mark um, at Red Bull, who's absolutely no slouch. You know, Mark's a, a really fast driver and managed to always come out on top. But I'm just not sure that, that he, he's ever had the challenge that he had in 2019. And so for him to cope with that and to come back and to kind of stamp his authority after a shaky start, I, yeah, I, I personally think that was that, that we, we saw something special. Oh, Alex, love speaking to Rob Smedley. He's always got an opinion, agree with it or not, it makes you talk and it makes you think. I mean, Sebastian Vettel's best year in Formula One 2019, I'm not sure I agree with that, although I do think Rob was speaking like he was Vettel's manager. I mean, he was giving him a hard push, wasn't he? I think you got the idea from Rob of how highly... Charles Leclerc is regarded. To, to hear him say he could be the best driver of his generation shows what well, basically backs up what we've seen from Ferrari, what we've seen in the driver's market. But the one thing I took away from that, Tom, is that it would be such a shame to hear someone of Rob Smedley's seniority in the sport talk about Sebastian Vettel that way for it to all come to a conclusion in Abu Dhabi this year. It would be disappointing. And let's not forget that Rob still knows a lot of people at Ferrari. So He's thinking that Leclerc is that good. I'm sure that's because he's got really good intel from inside the team about exactly how good that guy is. I remember in Japan last year, Vettel put it on pole. Mattia Bonotto's reaction was, well, said needed to do a really good lap to get pole because Charles, he was really on it. So it's just, it's really interesting dynamic. And, and let's hope that we see Vettel stay in Formula One. You're right. You're listening to F1 Nation, and it's time to welcome F1 and F2 presenter and reporter, Rosanna Tennant. This is Challenge Rosanna. Rosanna, are you there? I am there. How are you both? Very well, thank you. Yeah, and I'm very well. How about you? Do you know what? I think I've got into my lockdown stride. I've got a nice little routine going on, and the weather here in England is brightening up. So I have to say, I can't complain. Better late than never to get into the old routine, just as we're coming out of lockdown. Yeah, we've got about a week of it left, haven't we? Well, I'm hoping perhaps these new behaviours may cross over back into the new normal that we find ourselves in. Here's hoping anyway. Now, Rosanna, who have you got for Challenge Rosanna this week? I have got Checo Perez. 
Ah, Sergio. Racing points, Checo Perez, exactly. Well, it's time then to spin the F1 Wheel of Fortune. And Rosanna, your challenge this week is... to do an impression. You're going to have to get Checo <laughs> to do an impression of either a teammate or a team boss. How about that? That sounds quite tough compared to the challenges that have gone before. But as you know, I'm always willing to give it a go. So let me see if Checo will do an impression of someone for us. Checo, welcome to F1 Nation. How have you and your family been over the last couple of months? Really good. Uh, I've been able to enjoy my family a lot. I think since I'm, I'd say, 12 or, or, or 11, I've never spent this much time at, the, at home. It's been great on that side, but of course I miss, I miss my, my driving, I miss my adrenaline, the competition, my mates, you know, my team. Yes, as everyone, but, but I, I have to say that I'm, I'm really, really well here. You talk about adrenaline. That is quite a hard thing to, to find away from a racetrack and especially during lockdown and F1 shutdown. So what have you been doing to try and replicate that? Yeah, it's been a, quite a challenge. Competing with, with, with my brother very often at, uh, at FIFA games, we try to replicate a bit of that. We also... You get yeah, better, you improve Creating uh, competitions uh, at everything, you know, who, who can eat faster or slower or stuff like that. Just trying to, to make sure there is always some competition around. I love that. Such a racing driver mentality. Um, you talk about food. Have you been cooking? A lot of people have been baking and cooking their way through lockdown. Any exciting or delicious recipes? I'm actually a good, a good cooker because I, I live on my own since I'm 15. I'm so busy here, you know, with my kids. They won't let me cook, uh, be at the kitchen for 20, 30 minutes. I can imagine as a, a father of two small children, it's quite tricky to make them understand that you're still working because in the past, when you've been with them, I guess it's more of a holiday feel or a downtime. So how have you made that distinction and, and still having to be very hands-on as a father, but also make sure that you're ready to go racing? It's been a, a great experience, you know, to spend time with the kids, but obviously... While I'm, while I'm away, uh, my kid that is a bit older, he thinks every time that I, that I go to the gym or, or, or something, my mom just lives uh, across the road. So when I go to my mom's house, uh, he's like, he thinks I'm going away, you know? <laughs> I have to explain him that I'm not going away, that there is no racing happening anytime soon. So uh, he feels the stress on, on, on him that I'm, I'm leaving at some point. Oh, no, that's too sweet. Um, we've been talking a lot about overtakes and you have completed some stunning overtakes throughout your career. Is there one that you always think back to that you're really proud of? Two, actually. One that I think about it is, uh, I think one, one is Jensen in Monaco. One that I did in, in Jensen. I think that, that was pretty good. And another one that I did in Fernando uh, in, in Monaco. That, that race I overtook uh, Jensen and Fernando and then I was about to overtake Kimi and then we, we had the, the contact. But those two were, were pretty special ones. Now that's interesting because I thought you might have spoken about the overtake on Lando Norris at the end of last season because that was pretty sensational too. 
I, I think that because that one was so important uh, to me, you know, because we were competing for the top 10 in the championship uh, finish and McLaren had a very strong car last year. So to be able to be the McLaren car throughout the season was something for me very special, you know. So uh, the one that finished ahead was going to finish in the top 10 and uh, I managed to overtake him just at the couple of corners before the end. So that was also a, a very special one. I, I tried the whole race, you know, trying to figure out what, where I was going to make it because uh, it was going to be very difficult, very challenging. So I knew that was my only possibility that to, to make it happen, to, to make him go on the inside and, and go around the outside. That was going to be uh, uh, very tricky, but uh, uh, it, it all happened well. I like how Lando said that that was the move of your career and he was, he was glad that he'd allowed it to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw the, the interviews before. It, it was a great way. Well, actually, that was my last race uh, that I've done so far. It, it Such makes a long time ago. Yeah, it makes me sad to think that it's been so many months without driving. Are you even sadder because you know you have a machine that you can fight for podium positions and potentially wins with this year? Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, obviously. I'm, uh, when you have a good car on your hands, you know you want to go racing. You want to be at the racetrack every every weekend. It's not like when you have a bad car that uh, the last thing you want is to go racing. So. It's great, you know, when I know I have a good car, so I really want to start racing very soon and enjoy just more than the feeling of uh, if I can win or I can be on the podium, I want to compete. I want to to have that feeling of qualifying, of racing, of uh, season, making sure that I score the points. And that feeling as a driver that you have throughout throughout the years, it's something I'm, I'm missing quite a lot. Well, luckily, you've signed up for the virtual Grand Prix, the Azerbaijan race, and that's somewhere you've had loads of success on the real racetrack. So what are you expecting from the virtual racetrack? No, no, not big things, you know, because as, as I said before, I'm competing with all the kids that they're spending uh, hours and hours on, on the sim, and I actually don't have a simulator yet. Um, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Luis was in charge to bring the simulator. Here is Luis. Why it took, it's taking so long? It took us like uh, months. We are not kids anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why we're not getting the scene yet, but believe it or not, we don't have it yet. I don't play simulator, so it's going to be an interesting challenge. Have you been watching any of the races and getting some tips? I've seen some, some videos on Instagram from the races on, on F1, you know, seen some fun, funny moves and... But then there are some, some races that they do with trucks, big trucks. That was George Russell and, and the like, wasn't it? Yeah, so I'm a bit confused with, the, with, the, with that, but I'm looking you, forward to joining them. Would you Let's like to race how, a truck? Uh, no, I prefer the Formula One car. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we're going to go racing at the beginning of July. Does that mean you've been able to really put in place a strict schedule for, for the lead up to that first race now? Yeah, we actually just start training. We started proper training uh, this week. My my trainers are here with me, so we are we already started, and and we we know that it's gonna be very uh, a big challenge, you know, to go straight back into racing. We've never spent so much time without driving the car, so physically it's going to be very demanding. So so yeah, we we are we are working hard on that. I'm, I'm very happy that finally we have a date that we can go racing 
So are we. And it's been lovely to catch up with you. I hope you and your family stay safe. Get training and get practising for that virtual Grand Prix, Checo. Well, it was great to hear from Sergio Perez there. And I thought it was a wonderful interview. But not to be rude, there wasn't a lot of challenge going on for Challenge Rosanna. Thank you. I'm going to take your first compliment and run with it and then gracefully sidestep the rest like I did my challenge. Go on, Rosanna. What happened? So there wasn't much of an impression going on, was there? Well, no, I thought at various points there might be a chance to ask him to just straight out do one. And then I was enjoying the interview so much with Checo that I actually forgot. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was great to hear from him, though. And perhaps when we see him next in the F1 paddock, we can get him to do an impression. Maybe one of you two, he could try and take off. Do do you know what, guys? There was two things that struck me during that interview. One was him talking about getting back into training. I think there are a lot of drivers out there who haven't stopped training. Uh, I thought that was an interesting development in the Checo Perez household. And also uh, the kids. Them kids that drive simulators. Um, Checo is 30. The old man, (laughs) Checo Perez there. That's old for Formula One these days, isn't it? Which I I don't know. It doesn't make me feel good, but I'm pretty sure I'm the youngest person on this chat. So goodness knows how that makes you two feel. All right. Pipe down, you millennial. I'm just going to get my walking stick out and go back and take a lie down for a moment. (laughs) Well, Tom has turned against me. Rosanna has turned against me. I hope you haven't turned against me. We'd love to feature your thoughts on the show. Hashtag F1 Nation if you've got anything to send to us. And on the topic of admin, if you like what you heard, we'd love it if you subscribed. Maybe even leave us a review. It could be featured on a future episode. The F1 Classic Rewind race that I should have mentioned earlier on is Brazil for 2019. So give that a gander Saturday on all F1 channels. That's about it for this week's show. Our thanks to Sergio Perez, to Rob Smedley, to Mika Hakkinen and to you for listening. We appreciate it. And we'll be back with you next week for more F1 Nation. Listener.